Welcome back. This is episode 101 of the Man Bits podcast with my guest, Michael Laurier. Welcome back to the Man Bits podcast. I'm your host, Paul Averill. It's such a pleasure to be here. For those of you who've listened to the show before, welcome back. I love you. Thank you. For those of you who are just listening for the first time, episode 101, welcome. And you've got 100 episodes to catch up on, so you better get started. Today's show, I'm talking to Michael Laurier. Now, he is a men's coach and much more, and we'll get into the detail of that shortly. The last six months for me has been a bit of a sabbatical. Pascal and I decided to take a step back from a number of our projects so we could focus on and be absolutely present for our newborn daughter, Audrey, who was born in December 2018. I'm recording this in June 2019. So we took a bit of time off to just be there for her, be there as a family and enjoy and cherish every single moment, stressful and joyful. And that's what we've done. It's been gorgeous and I'm so excited for the next six months and the next year and beyond. This year we'll be doing a few less interviews. Last year was just crazy. We were doing two interview, two episodes every single week. I have a number of episodes I'll be publishing really soon and I can't wait to bring you those interviews. I've got some absolutely awesome humans lined up. The first one of this, let's call it season two, chapter two, the next phase, whatever you want to call it, straight up chat about men's health, mental wellness, physical health and financial wealth. I'm chatting to Michael Laurier. Michael's a men's mentor and relationship coach with over 15 years experience. He helps people achieve better results in all areas of their lives, from relationships, career, business, money. He works with small, medium businesses and organizations. He guides CEOs and their staff through the complicated staff management and restructures. A man of many talents. He's a published author. In fact, when we recorded this episode, it was the day of the publishing of the book. So we were super excited. The book's called Forging Excalibur, Rediscover Your Masculinity. He's a public speaker and group facilitator, and he's been featured on local national and international radio and podcasts. He's got a background in counseling, coaching, advanced knowledge and training and neuroscience, neuroplasticity, which is a fantastic and fascinating subject. And he looks into the relationship between conscious and subconscious minds. We get a little bit into philosophy today. We talk about psychology, the psyche, subconscious, and much, much more. He's a passionate guy, and he's passionate about helping men embody and integrate all aspects of their masculinity and help them grow into the man that they envision for themselves and for their families and their communities. He lives in Melbourne with his wife and three kids. I'm looking forward to bringing you this chat. Let's get on with it. Michael Laurier, here we go. So, Michael Laurie, thanks so much for joining me. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show. We've been planning it for months. We have. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate the invitation. And it has been a few months, hasn't it? We we connected, what, three, four months ago now? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good timing. Good timing anyway. Perfect timing. There's a buzz in the room here because uh, today is the day after the launch of Michael's new book, Forging Excalibur. And we'll get right into that. I do want to talk to you a lot about the book. Uh, but let's start things off. Uh, well, first of all, how are you feeling about that? You must be on a bit of a high now. Oh, I really am. I really am, Paul. It was, it was, it's been a real journey for me over the last three months or so since I first, oh, maybe, yeah, three months since I first started writing a book or planning the book, I guess. And then that whole process, because I've done all this myself. I don't have a publisher. So I've self-published. And the only thing that I kind of outsourced was editing because I think that's pretty important. And so, um, so yeah, I've done the whole thing myself. So it's been a journey. It's been a tiring journey, but it's also been an absolute passion project to bring this to the world uh, last night. So that, that uh, presentation that I, that I put on last night on the Zoom call, uh, that was even that, I, I can't tell you how many hours went into that. It's just, but it's all passion, right? So I just love what I do. And uh, it's just what I love doing. Doesn't feel like so, work. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If it did, I would have been. I would have gotten bored of it a long time ago. Were there any hard truths from that editing? Yes, 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 yes. There were. There definitely were. I mean, as as a just as a as a guy or a human being, you, you kind of sometimes you struggle with your own little things when you're, especially when you're writing a book, right? Because you've got to put yourself into it. So that this book, Forging Excalibur, has so much of me in it. Uh, more than anything else that I've ever done before. And 
so when you when you go through this process of writing a book and putting so much of yourself into it, uh, a lot of stuff comes up. And so during the editing process, the editor came back to me and he said, I just want to highlight this <laughs> this paragraph. Do you think there might be a little bit too much emotion there? And, do you, you know, do you think there might be a little bit too much of this or that or something else? And it's good because a good editor can bring these things to, to your awareness and then you kind of go, you know what, yes, I can reword that and relanguage that in a way that is a lot more constructive and productive and is more for um, you know, for, for others as opposed to my own self-healing. Ah, good point. So that might be something maybe that we'll get into around the masculine ego might jump in and go, well, no, this is my book. I'm going to write it how I want to write it. Yeah, 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 definitely. And look, I, well, before I sent the book to the editor, I actually printed out um, what I actually went, just went to Officeworks and printed out a copy of it and had it bound and everything as well. Because I thought this is my first draft, and before it goes off and it gets changed, and there's all this stuff that happens, um, I just I actually just want to have a first draft that I can keep, and it's up here on the bookshelf, and it's not that much different to the final version. But what is different is that the healing, I guess, the parts of my life there have been have been difficult, have been challenging. Uh, I'm sure most people can say the same. And when you write a book, as I was saying before, that all comes out and there's no point hiding it and there's no point trying to, you know, put a blanket over it. So it came out and in the first draft that I've got up here on the, on the bookshelf, it's, there's, there's probably three areas which I can honestly say represent the most challenging parts of my life where there's a lot of emotion and it's almost like I just went bleh and it all just came out. And I always knew, even while I was writing it, I always knew it would not make the final cut, but it was therapeutic. Yeah, good healing. Mm, absolutely. So what was life like growing up for you? I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to say that my childhood and my teenage years were really good. I didn't really have many challenges. My parents uh, were very loving and supportive and all that sort of stuff. So my childhood was, was pretty good. Can't really say I have any complaints about, about my childhood. It's when I... <laughs> it's when I got to about 15 or 16 or so that I was the one that caused the, my own issues in life. It wasn't my upbringing or my parents. It was me as a, as a rebellious teenager. So you went off the rails a little bit, as many do. Yeah, I did. I did. I, you know, I, I, my parents went out for dinner one night and I packed up my stuff and moved out because I hated them. And, uh, and uh, no, no reason to hate them at all. Absolutely no reason to hate them. But so there was that, and then there was, um, you know, going out and partying and drinking and recreational drugs and all that sort of stuff as a as an older teenager. So when I got into sort of 16, 17, 18, 19, they were probably my most, let's call them tumultuous years. Yeah. And so what was it, or two questions in one, when did you and what was it that led you to start working with men on this sort of basis that you do now? What inspired you to take that path? So as with most things in life, it's the adversity that really puts us on a different path. And so I got married at uh, 21, very young to get married. And my first, my first child was born when I was 22. So massive responsibility, for, you know, at 21, 22 to get married and have a child. And so that marriage went on for a about 12 years, and it was a very unhappy marriage for the majority of the time. But I didn't have the self-awareness at the time to know when when to leave, like when to actually end it and say, well, this is not working, it's not serving me, and it's not serving her, and it's not serving anyone, so it's time to stop. So it took me probably seven or eight years to come to the awareness that it was time to, it was time to, time to leave. And so when I did after that was when was when the adversity really hit because then there was it wasn't it wasn't a pleasant separation or divorce with two kids and it wasn't pleasant at all and so there was lots of family court lots of issues with child support there was uh, there was lots of issues between myself and uh, my ex-wife didn't see the kids for 18 months at one point and there were all these battles right and I, and as a result of how I was feeling, I then sort of went into this area of uh, anxiety and, and, and depression and I was suicidal at a couple of, couple of points during that period of time as well. Uh, 
And it wasn't until I started coming out of that that I realized that there are a ridiculous amount of men out there that go through very, very similar situations. And then I started, so I wanted to help them because it, it had been very, very difficult for me. So I wanted to help other men. And so what I did is I went off and I got my counseling diploma and, uh, and I started counseling and I started running men's groups and facilitating men's groups as well. And guys were getting a lot out of this, but then what I was out of the groups specifically. And then what I was finding was in my private practice when I was counseling men, I found that we were talking a lot about, uh, you know, feelings and thoughts and behaviors and all that sort of stuff. And it was landing and it was helping them to feel better temporarily. But then what would happen is that a week after that or two weeks after that, they'd be exhibiting the same behaviors. And it just wasn't giving them permanent transformation. So I thought, I need to take responsibility here because I'm meant to be helping these guys. And, uh, and so I need to do this at a higher level and figure out what I'm doing wrong. And so then what I did is I went off and I did some more further education and my own personal development as well. So I took a whole year off counseling and I went off and I studied neuroscience and I studied neuroplasticity and I did a lot of stuff around how the mind works, the, the conscious and the, con- and the subconscious mind and the unconscious mind as well. And, uh, and, you know, childhood patterns and paradigms and just all this stuff for about a year. I just took a year off everything and went off and learned. And this was a personal development journey for myself over about 12 months. And so then when I came back into this and I started coaching, I started coaching then instead of counselling. And then when you start to understand the relationship between the conscious and the subconscious mind and how beliefs and values and paradigms start to play out in people's thoughts, feelings and, and, uh, and behaviours, you can then serve people at a much higher level. And that's really the theme um, that, that permeates through this whole book that I've written. It's really, it's not about childhood stuff and inner child and all of that. It's got nothing to do with that, but it's very much about understanding and coming to awarenesses of what is in the subconscious mind. And as men, how to become fully integrated with what you are consciously aware of and what you're subconsciously unaware of. So a little less Freud and a little more young. Absolutely, a lot more young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we step into archetypes as well with young because uh, there's, you know, I don't know if you've, have you read the book, uh, Warrior, King, Lover, Magician? I think it's in that order. I haven't, but I'm currently on Carl Jung's uh, autobiography and uh, that's that's given me a whole bunch of other material to go and look for now. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Yeah, well, look, a lot of my inspiration over the years has come from him because I just think there's a lot of wisdom in these archetypes, especially for men, and embodying masculinity within men. And when you start to understand the the you know, the energy and the intention behind the archetypes, you start to understand that masculinity actually is not toxic, right? There's nothing toxic about masculinity. And this is a big thing that I cover in the book as well because we've, we've seen a lot of this and heard a lot of this in media over the last few years about toxic masculinity and telling us how we're supposed to be bringing up boys and what behaviour is okay for men and what isn't, right? There are obvious, there are obvious, there are obvious behaviours that are inappropriate, and we all know what they are. But what we have to understand is that all of those traits um, are part of the masculine. And what we have to do is we have to learn how to embody them on a much more into, in a much more integrated way. And what that means is, is that within the masculine there is aggression, right? There's, no, there's absolutely no denying that. There's aggression. But there's ways of expressing that that are healthy. So... There's, you can go to the gym on a regular basis, you can lift weights, you can run, uh, you can take up some kind of sport, you can, you know, you can go and do stuff that chop wood, like <laughs> well, whatever, whatever it is that you need to do to, you know, nurture that part of you. And then what happens is it becomes embodied. And when it becomes embodied and you start to take uh, more control and manage those aspects of masculinity that we all know are not necessarily uh, appropriate or socially acceptable under certain circumstances, then what we find is that that archetype or that part of that archetype, which is the warrior archetype, is taken care of. It's given some love and nurture and attention, and so then it doesn't come out in unhealthy ways. 
I wasn't expecting to get into it so quick, but we are here, so I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> um, but could you maybe, for those listening, just break down what an archetype is, just so they can get some context as to what that means with the warrior archetype? Yeah, cool. So we, we all have these archetypes within us, and an archetype is really what we embody in a particular period of our life or in a particular role in our life. And they can be interpreted in many different ways. So, for instance, the the lover archetype uh, archetype is not just about how you are with your partner, yep, and making love and being intimate and passionate and all that sort of stuff. That's definitely part of it. But the lover archetype is very much about who, how we step into our relationship with our children too, and our other family members and people that we actually have high regard for, because that's all love, just in different forms, right? And so we all go through periods of time. And then there's the magician archetype, which is all about creation. So I've been in that archetype for the past three months, creating a book and writing a book and bringing that to the world. And there'll be, but, but then during that, you can switch. So you can, be, you can actually embody different archetypes at different times. This is the point. And the point is that when you go to, your bed, when you go to bed with your partner at night, you will embody the lover archetype. But then I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, if somebody breaks in to the house, then you're going to embody the warrior archetype very bloody quickly and you're going to protect your family. Yep. And if there's stuff that's happening within life um, that, that needs leadership within your family, then you'll step up into the king archetype. What I see there is that the difference between aggression coming out without the control and the management, as you said, is is it all about that it's about management and actually having an awareness of it that it's just part of an archetype like the warrior when you have that awareness then you have the choice to step into it or not obviously we get overtaken by aggression that's an emotion but when you have the management tools you're able to then control it and keep it um appropriate well, well yeah so so here's the thing about about what you just said i i agree mostly with that uh and i think that when we talk about aggression, it's it's not so. It is about management, definitely, because there's appropriate ways of expressing expressing aggression, and there's inappropriate ways, and and that's pretty obvious, right? But but when it comes to management, management of an emotion is very much up is very much determined, and how well that's managed is very much determined by the level of self awareness of the person, right? So if that person has a very low level of self awareness, then they're not going to manage that aggression very well. And then you start to get a man that's violent um, and, you know, puts holes in the wall and, and becomes physically abusive towards partner and family. Uh, you know, there's lots of areas where that can be unhealthily expressed. What this is really about is embodying these archetypes and embodying these attributes of the masculine in a really, let's say, intentional way. And so... A man with a, a reasonably high level of self-awareness will become aware very quickly of the fact that he's feeling anxious, frustrated, and possibly angry. And then he'll go, okay, cool, I'm feeling this stuff now, so what I need to do is separate myself from everybody else and everything else, and I'm just going to go to the gym, and I'm going to deadlift, or I'm going to do something. Whatever I'm going to do at the gym, I'm just going to get it all out of the gym, right? And then I'm going to step back into my life, in a much more fully embodied way, a much more integrated way, and a much and a way where I can actually uh, step into being a different archetype for my family. That might be the lover archetype. Whereas a man who isn't quite that self-aware would feel the aggression, feel the anger, feel the anxiety and the frustration, and react and act on it. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's the stuff that we see uh, when or we hear about when we hear about toxic masculinity. Mm. It's not the fact that the masculine is toxic, it's that it's not embodied and not integrated in a healthy, effective way. Got it, and that's how you're helping men is, is with that self-awareness. Absolutely, it? yeah, absolutely. Just to, to have the self-awareness to understand uh, that there are aspects of us that can be expressed in very unhealthy and toxic ways. However, there are ways of managing them at a very, very high level and building a level of self-awareness so that you nurture every single part of your masculinity in a way that gives each part of it validation, 
and, and some kind of attention because it's when we suppress stuff that it comes out in really unhealthy ways. So what this is about is not suppressing anything, expressing everything, but understanding how it's appropriate to express. Thank you, yeah, thank you. What was the moment, I mean, when you came out of, this, let's say, that cloud from the, the breakup and the depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation, what was the moment or an event that caused that pivot? Was there something or someone that helped you or gave you a kick or what was it that actually sparked the change for you to go, huh, okay, that's not healthy, I need to make a change, now I move forward? Okay, um, might bring a little bit of a tear to my eye when I tell you this little story, but I was, uh, ha- it would have been about two years into after being separated, I was not seeing my children. I hadn't seen them for about maybe 12 months and it was a Sunday morning and I was on my own and I was lying in bed and I was crying. I was in this absolute state of despair and depression and anxiety and hopelessness and helplessness. And it was one of those moments where I felt like I could just, I could just, just end this. I've just had enough. Um, it's all too much and I could just end it. And my phone was on my bedside table and the text message uh, notification went off and I left it because I just couldn't I just didn't want to have to deal with whatever it was because it was never with <laughs> a text message it was usually from my ex-wife it was never nice and so I left it but then about two minutes after that I got up and I thought I'll just check what it is and I had a look and it was my son who was at the time he was 10 and he sent me this message and he said I love you daddy I can't wait to see you again and for me uh, that was what really that was what really uh, changed things within my own mind, and that was you know you can call it a kick in the pants, you can call it, but it was what it was really. It was really a jolt back into what was important in life and what I valued, and my children and being the best version of myself that I possibly can for myself, but also for my children and for my extended family and for the person that I was going to become in the future as well. Listening to Straight Up Chats, the Man Bits Podcast. This moment is a good opportunity to switch the pace a little bit. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. I call this the middle bits. What's your number one tip for a fulfilled life? Uh, number one tip for a fulfilled life. High levels of self-awareness. Okay. What's the first step then to do that? Uh, Find a coach, find a mentor, find someone who's walked the path that you're currently on or find someone that's in the place in life where you would desire to be and then get them to help you through where you are. Yeah, and there's so many about. I mean, I know, Michael, you are, and there's many other guys on my who've been on the podcast. There's men's groups. There's this is not just for men. This is for women as well. But there's there's groups. There's mentors. There's coaches. There's counselors. Even uh, friends, family can be mentors without knowing it. There's so many. Uh, there's so much help out there, and I think that's that's something that perhaps isn't um, people who are in the cloud uh, don't always see that. No, they don't. But what it is, what what you know, when you come to some, when you if you're in that cloud and you kind of can't see a way out, or you don't see that light at the end of the so-called tunnel, at some point you will. At some point you'll have a little epiphany, and then what you've got to do when you when you're in that little that place, which is almost like the eye of the storm sometimes, and I can relate, is have enough of an awareness to be able to identify who the, who you're connected with. It's in the place where you desire to be and then reach out to them. And it could be anyone, right? And as you said, there's lots of coaches and mentors out there and different people will resonate with different personalities and different coaching styles and just different people. And so, you know, I wouldn't pretend to say that I'm necessarily going to resonate with everybody out there and everybody's going to resonate with me. There will be people that will resonate with me. There will be people, people that will resonate with other coaches and mentors Whatever, whoever it is, it's re- it's it's vital for your for your own benefit for uh, your own growth as well to find someone who's walked the path that you are on or would like to walk. Is there a lesson you've learned since school that you believe should be 
taught in school? Oh, everything I've learned over the past 15 years. Just, just you know what, if I could break it down to one thing, how the mind works, the relationship between the conscious and the subconscious mind. If we taught this stuff in school, oh, and the power of gratitude, if we talk this, talked about this stuff in school and taught kids at an appropriate age about gratitude and the power of gratitude and how the conscious and the subconscious work, subconscious mind work, and the relationship between the two, and how what you see externally is always a reflection of what's happening internally within you. If we taught this stuff in school, we would see teenagers that have high levels of self-awareness. We'd have teenagers that would then go on and, and live more purposeful lives and contribute to, to society and people that take responsibility for themselves and live life with integrity and compassion. But we're already talking about the seven standards of men in forging Excalibur here, right? But that's what this is all about. You mentioned the subconscious and the conscious mind, and, and on that, that is a... That is a rabbit hole, right? We could go on for a couple of hours just on the basics. But the uh, with, can you give us an example of how they're related? Just an example in like everyday life that you might go, well, there's an example of that. You mentioned something there where where what we see the external world is a reflection of what's inside. So I see that as perhaps if I'm getting aggression from other people, maybe that's something I'm putting out. Isn't a very simple example? Do you, is there one you could share? Uh, sure. Well, let's talk about in the context of a relationship, like an intimate relationship, because I'm also a relationship coach. And so a lot of stuff that I see within couples, the struggles that they have is as a result of uh, subconscious beliefs or paradigms that they might have. And a paradigm is really just a set of consistently constant behaviors, right, or thoughts or feelings. That's a paradigm. And they're developed very young. You know, our paradigms are developed in, in between birth and sort of seven or eight years of age. And then if we're not aware of them, which we're not because they're in the subconscious mind, we take them through life and then we make choices and we behave certain ways and feel certain things and think certain thoughts as a result of them. So to answer your question, uh, in a relationship, for instance, let's just say, because one of the big things in relationships is that the people have issues with is money. Let's just talk about money for a second, right? And in a relationship, you'll have two people, two, sep two very separate individuals that have come together and they are sharing finances on some level. Whether they've got joint bank accounts or whether they've got separate incomes going to separate accounts, they're sharing stuff. Now, those two people grew up in very, very different families with who will, and they would have heard very different things about money and experienced different things around money. So one person might have come from a family who was quite wealthy and they didn't want for anything. And so the belief or the paradigm that they have is that money is easy to come by and I can have what I want and it's all good. There's an endless pool there, right? The other person might have come from an upbringing where they heard things like, uh, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. And... Uh, uh, money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. There's all sorts of these things that we hear as we're growing up. And so that person's going to come into this relationship with a scarcity mindset around money. And so when those two come together and they're trying to manage exactly the same situation, you're going to have very, very different thoughts, feelings and behaviours around how to actually manage that in, a, in an effective way. And, of course, that's going to cause conflict. And when people start to understand, so some of the, some of the people that I've had come to me for relationship coaching over the years I would say 30, 35% of them, it's because of money. And so when they start to understand that the only reason they're in conflict around their financial situation and money is because they have different beliefs and values around money as a result of their subconscious programming, they start to understand a lot more and at a much deeper level where the other person is, why he's behaving that way, why she feels the way that she feels, and then they can start to connect at a much deeper level and find compromise, find something that works for both of them. And we usually find that both of those paradigms are not serving either person on the level that they are. Because you've got to remember paradigms are formed based on somebody else's beliefs and values and information about that particular situation. So a lot of these beliefs that we have and paradigms that have been programmed into our subconscious mind are really not even ours. 
Now, this could be generations, uh, ancestral, it could be mother and father, it can be you know, father figures, it can be many different things, media even. It certainly can. All the influences in our lives at that very young age. And so when we start to understand and become aware of what those paradigms are, we can start to figure out what serves us and what doesn't. And when we start to change those paradigms into ones that serve us, we break the cycle. Straight away, we break the cycle. So that's been a generational thing. And this belief about money, for instance, has been happening for three, four, five, six generations. We break the cycle and we start a new paradigm. You mentioned gratitude. So third question will be, what are you grateful for right now? Me? I'm, look, I'm just grateful for the person that I've had the opportunity to grow into and the person that I've been able to become as a result of my own journey and then uh, if I can extend on that gratitude and then, and then because of that, I'm able to serve people at a higher level than I ever have been able to before. As we go into the second part of the interview, we touched on sort of generational influence and uh, other people's paradigms and belief systems that we take on. When you look at, because you mentioned your son, uh, I've got a, a five-month-old daughter, so I'm, I'm taking tips here, you know. But what was the relationship there in terms of as you developed yourself, how you then related that to your relationship with your son? How did you help him? Mm. So look, once again, I'll come back to the same thing. It's about building a higher level of self-awareness within myself. So when I started to understand, because look, I was no different to to your, you know, to everybody else at one point in my life. There was a time in my life, especially when that separation happened, I was I was actually uh, I was actually very angry about how life had turned out, and that that permeated through my whole life, including the relationship with my children and how I responded not responded at the time, but reacted towards them as well. And so what these higher levels of self-awareness taught me was to understand that this was all my stuff. It was just all my stuff. It actually had nothing to do with them. They were just being kids. They were just being a six-year-old and a 10-year-old, totally living life totally unconsciously in the moment and not really fully embodying the, the, the you know, the principles of consequences and repercussions. And it was up to me to form these boundaries around behavior and thoughts and feelings and and provide a safe environment. And I realized that on this journey very early on that I actually wasn't providing a safe environment for them from an emotional perspective because I hadn't fully embodied myself. And so the lesson, the lesson there was really to understand that, every, you know, everything externally that I experience comes from comes from within me and so even now I have a two-year-old little girl and there are still times when you know still times when I get annoyed because there's lots of noise and lots of mess and so in that moment when I'm frustrated she starts making more noise and more mess right but then before but I've got that level of awareness now to know that that's what's happening and so I can bring it down and I can start to I can start to, I know that I can express that frustration externally at some other time. And in that moment, I just have to be there for her. And then when I start to, when I start to be in that present moment with her, there's less mess and less noise. And that works for me. I'll take that one on for when she hits two, because she's five months now. Because <laughs> she can't move and she sleeps for four hours at a time. She's she's so conforming at the moment. She's uh, you know soon, she's soon to become the worst tenant I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, they, they become non-conforming very quickly. <laughs> um, there was a moment actually when she was uh, in the newborn stage, and I'll share this because it was it was something that was it was a big reality for me, and it made me also feel and understand how uh, a lot of parents make a silly mistake and and sometimes. Um, you know, hurt their children in that moment of anger or aggression because you know, night after night of, of uh, lack of sleep and getting up early in the morning, I felt as I'm trying to uh, calm her down at 2 a.m. that I felt this anger build up in me, just not at her but at the situation. Mm. And I felt like rise up and I'm like, wow, wow. And, and fortunately, I'm in a place where I have a grounding of self-awareness and I can recognize that. But what it made me realize is that uh, it made me empathize with people, you know, not that it's 
um, right or anything, but how they act or they react to that situation. And it has devastating results. But in me, I realized that all I needed to do is just, as you said, be there for her right then, because she, all she needed was love and joy and comfort. That's it. Very simple. And nurture as well. Yeah, just to nurture her. And uh, when I had that thought, I've not felt any anger or annoyance at any noises she makes or any crying or anything like that ever since because I realized instantly that um, it's not her. It's me. It's in me. That's right. Uh, so that was a big wake-up call for me and uh, a very important one. And, and it really touches on the points you were making there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really poignant kind of discussion point to focus on a little bit because we do see a lot of child abuse in society in different ways and it is as a result in my opinion of this just these unembodied disembodied disembodied i'm sorry disembodied aspects if we're talking about men specifically disembodied aspects of the masculine that men are totally unaware of and how to express in a healthy way and that's when we see child abuse that's when we see rape that's when we see people you know with guns shooting people up shooting shooting places up that's where we see road rage it's where we see all sorts of things in society uh, that, that are unhealthy behaviors socially in, unacceptable and you know stuff that's just horrible it's just disembodied aspects of ourselves if only we could just switch on the light for everybody in some quick way or another, but it's it's uh, it seems I think if you haven't learned it early on in life, it's much harder to relearn this kind of thing. So the need for a coach is is so important. Oh, totally, totally. Because you don't, you know, there's the old saying, you don't know what you don't know. And so, um, look, I, I I've seen people in there. You know, I'm 45 next month. I've seen people older than me who have taken on these principles changed paradigms and ch absolutely transformed their lives as a result of doing work, the work that I've done with them. Uh, I'm currently working with someone who's 56, I think he's 56, and he's gone through life and he's struggled and he's had failed relationships and he's, he's expressed anger in very unhealthy ways. And he's now coming to a point where just everything in life, his, whole, his results in every aspect of his life transforming so i think that when we bring this information to people and they're open to learning transformation can happen now we briefly talked about forging excalibur and yeah. in that book you talk about the seven standards to become the best version of a man that you could be and i'd like to just if we could if we i could indulge a little bit here are those seven standards if we could, and and we probably don't have time to break them down completely, but I think if you want to understand more about those standards, then you buy the book. But we'll just maybe touch on them a little bit and uh, get an idea what that's about. Yeah, cool. So the seven standards of men that I talk about in the book are integrity, compassion, courage, strength, and that's inner strength, not big muscles, uh, purpose, so having purpose in life, self-actualization, which is a very high level of self-awareness, and, and taking 100% ultimate responsibility for absolutely everything in your life. And that's the results you're getting, the relationships you're having uh, with, people, with, with everybody in your life and literally everything in life because when we take, and I think like that's the one, that's the last one, right, 100% ultimate responsibility because as soon as you take 100% ultimate responsibility for everything in your life, you then empower yourself to make changes in areas that are not serving you and not working. And what you also do is you, is you remove blame from the equation as well and you start to have healthier relationships and then you empower other people to take responsibility too. So that for me is the biggest one and I spend a lot of time in the book talking about 100% responsibility. Big one because I've noticed in our relationship, my, my wife and I, we we don't argue often. And uh, and the reason for that is because we we have this good basis of communication, which is, a, is, is uh, in 
we, there is no blame in there and blame is is the easiest way to get into an argument <laughs> and it's the it's the easiest way to um, escape a conversation escape uh, sorry let me rephrase it's the easiest way to escape a difficult conversation which men are really good at they're, they're good at escaping the the hard words the hard conversations that need to be had. we are masters of avoidance and procrastination if we really want to be yeah. If, if only I had a shed I could go out and hide in, you know. <laughs> and we could put all our little procrastination in there and just have a place for it, have a home for it. That's it. And what I found, I get more benefit out of staying put, staying present and not blaming and just listening and trying to uh, understand that I, as you say, have responsibility in that moment. Mm. Uh, I play a part uh, to stay present. I get so much more out of that rather than just hiding, waiting till it blows over and then coming back and then suddenly there's this kind of unspoken resentment that's built up between us. You know? That's right, that's right. And one of the big things with, with women as well in a relationship with women is that they actually want to be heard. Women want to be heard and they feel respected and honoured when they're heard and when we respect them and when we, and when we have compassion for you know, their point of view and, and actually listen and, as you said, are very, very present in that moment. And so what happens when you can do that in relationship with a woman, then what happens is that they're a lot more open to your point of view, they're a lot more open to having a good quality discussion and then that breaks down the barriers even more so there's less blame and more resolution, more work towards resolution. Those st seven standards of men, seven standards of being the best version of yourself i would say that they apply to women as well i mean is there something similar that you've read on how women might take a number of certain standards is, is there a book for women in that way well uh maybe it's your next book okay well i'm happy to divulge this to you because i haven't told anybody yet but there will be a set there'll be a, this is this so forging excalibur is the first book in a series of three books uh, the next one is going to be about rediscovering femininity for women. And I've got the title, but I'm not going to tell anybody what it is just yet. So, but, and then the third book is going to be all about how you fuse Excalibur. And the second book, it's going to be a book about relationships. I let the cat out of the bag. I didn't even know I was doing it. <laughs> but that's okay. It's all good. It was going to come out in a few weeks anyway, so it's all good. And you get the scoop. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I would say that there's also some standards for women that, that um, I, would, I would argue that they're probably very similar to those of men. They'll be very similar, definitely. Um, I haven't, and I'll be honest about this particular point, even though I've coached women along the way uh, over the last 15 or 20 years and in the context of relationship coaching too, I haven't... I guess I haven't finalised or totally embodied what those seven standards for women will be, um, but definitely there's at least three or three or four, maybe maybe five, um, that will be similar or exactly the same as the ones I just told you for men. And you talked about purpose, so could we briefly, as we wind things up, break down purpose? Because I know, I know that a lot of guys perhaps. Many people lack in purpose, but that's because, one, they're not aware of it, but also they don't know what that means. Like, what is my purpose? How do I find my purpose? Could we maybe just ch chat on that a little bit? Yeah, of course. Uh, this, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll refer to another part in the book as well where I talk about core values, um, and they're the values, and there's usually two or three of them for everybody that are things that they value at such a high level within their life uh, that if they lost one of them, it would be devastating. And so for most men, it's family. What well, The first one will be family, right? And so when we start to understand what our core values are, and there's usually two or three of them, and we can really connect with them at a very, very deep level, then we create a sense of purpose around that. You can't just, you can't just go, okay, well, I'm good at writing books or I'm good at coaching or I'm good at, uh, at the gym or I'm Good, I'm a good runner or something. So my purpose, because I'm a good runner, that means my purpose is I'm going to be a 100-metre 100, 100 sprinter for the Olympics. That's a, that's like, a goal, purpose. isn't it? That's not a purpose. It's not more purpose. of a goal, right? But a purpose in life is, has to really be tied to what is important to you and as an individual at a very, very deep level. And that's tied to your core values. 
Because what I've found over the years with men is that when they're not living intentionally uh, based on their core values, they actually end up losing everything that they truly value. And I guess we can kind of very, very quickly go into another part of the book, which is what I talk about um, success and this definition that we have of success and how that's very toxic to men as well. Because men, you know, this version of success that we have in our society now is really centred around uh, material, material, the acquisition of material wealth and societal status. And so we find that along that journey of pursuing this, which is a very elusive end goal because who knows what the hell it is anyway, uh, we find that men get caught up in this because they there's this expectation that a man must be successful in order to be a man. And if he's not, then he's not a very good quality man and he's a loser and he's all sorts of things, right? And so men get caught up in this, in this quest for success. And then along the way, they sacrifice everything that they value, which is usually relationships. Yep. And they get to the end or what they perceive as their version of success when they've got money in the bank, lots of money in the bank and driving a fancy car and all this sort of stuff, and they, and they suddenly go, okay, cool, well, I'm here, and they look around and they realise that their wife left, you know, 12 months, months ago or two years ago because she wasn't getting anything from him and he was just working all the time. Um, and the kids don't want anything to do with him because he was never present. There's a, an argument there which I draw from some Jordan Peterson lectures where he talks on the hierarchy. So we, you know, evolution tells us that there's a hierarchy that we aim for, men aim for, and women go for in terms of relationships. So how, considering that's deep evolution, how do we then navigate that as we, we've sort of turned that into our version of success? That hierarchy that we're all aiming for, which is part of the deep side of our subconscious i guess has become something that is elusive in today's success like material success they're not actually the same thing but how how are they different well here's the thing right you can you can chase success for the sake of success in our current definition of success and you can do so in an in a disembodied way or you can do so in an embodied way i have no problem with uh, being wealthy i have i also have no problem with um, driving a nice car, and I have no problem with wearing nice clothes. I have no problem with having a good lifestyle and enjoying what money can actually bring. Absolutely no issue with that as well. The issue that I do have is that when you chase all of that for the sake of it, and that's the purpose, I can guarantee you that you'll get there if you do that you'll get there and you will be still unhappy and feeling unfulfilled and disembodied. And you'll go, what the hell? I've, I've actually known people in my life that have gone along this journey and I call it in, in Forging Excalibur in the book, I call it uh, climbing Mount Success, right? That's what I call it. It's a bit of a, bit of a story that I build into the book there. And I've seen men who have done this. And the men that have done it with a purpose and the, and the purpose being connected with their core values have gotten there. They still get there. And in fact, they get there quicker and they get there, they end up with more, okay, from a material perspective because they've maintained their core values. They've done so with their core values at the very heart of everything. And so when they get there, they enjoy that life with their wife or their partner and their children and their family, and they can enjoy. And they, that, that's when you feel fulfilled, right, when you've got all of these things but you've still got your relationships intact. It's when that journey, you know, that, that climb up Mount Success happens in a disembodied way uh, without connecting to a core value or, you know, core values that people feel unfulfilled at the end of it. I see it in people. You can see... Maybe it's on a subconscious level, but if somebody here is connected with their core values, they, they recognize that in themselves, they live their life by that way, by that way. They have gravitas. You're drawn to them. I'm drawn to you because you do that versus someone who is just chasing success for success or for success's sake. Uh, it's a different 
I get a different feeling from that person. And, and it's quite clear to me. It's quite obvious to me. And I think some people on, a, on some level, it, it's probably the same. So, yeah, that's a really good point to kind of bring that together, the, the hierarchy that is deeper within us. If you're doing it in the right way, if you're staying connected with yourself and your values, the success will come yeah. naturally. The yeah. money will come. It will just come from somewhere. It doesn't have to be the final, the final goal. And look, you mentioned uh, Jordan Peterson earlier. I have a high level of respect for him, um, and, I, and I, I don't disagree with the majority of everything that he says. I don't disagree with the majority of it. Um, and when he talks about hierarchical structures within ourselves, let alone not not even in society, but just within within ourselves in in our psyche, um, I, I totally connect with that because they're there. And Jung talks about these as well, right? So they're there. Uh, we just have the have to have the awareness to embody them in such a way that as we're so that we have a good relationship with our psyche, as opposed to allowing our psyche to run wild and run the show. Forging Excalibur, rediscovering your masculinity. It's been a great pleasure, Michael, to have this conversation. I've really loved it, and I think we've gone in many directions. It feels to me like there could be a part B where we could dig a bit deeper um how can people get hold of you now uh, obviously we're going to include some links in our notes but uh, what are you up to and how can people get hold of you yeah cool okay so um they can just search me on facebook or social media just just my name michael laurier um nothing fancy i haven't called myself anything fancy just me so um just my name on all social media facebook instagram linkedin that's where i am fantastic it's been such a pleasure thank you for coming on Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I look forward to part B. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, everyone. Check out Michael's Facebook page, Facebook group. And I do recommend joining. He's running some, he's doing some great work over there. I do recommend joining. He's doing some great work in the man space. In fact, the Facebook group is called the man space. Until next time, have a great week. Be grateful. Show the love. Be present. And I'll see you soon. Ciao.